Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Lynn Jackson. Lynn Jackson is the great-great-granddaughter of Dred Scott, the enslaved man who sued the state of Missouri for his freedom in 1857. She is also the president of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation and established the Sons and Daughters of Reconciliation. That's a group that brings together descendants of civil rights heroes and descendants of those same heroes antagonists. I think it's so important uh, to talk to Lynn about reconciliation, repentance, and really restraint is what we're talking about here. Because in this moment of Lent, we are trying to reconcile and repent with God. And we're asking for his mercy, which is restraint. And I was so struck by a prayer when I was praying the Liturgy of the Hours on Ash Wednesday. I want to share this prayer with you because I think it's it's just so beautiful, not only for Lent, but also as we have this conversation with Lynn Jackson. Here's the prayer. Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting, this campaign of Christian service, so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. We might not often think of self-restraint as a weapon, but clearly it is when we're dealing with spiritual evil and have to take up a campaign, not of just docility, but really a campaign of Christian service. There is some action here, but it can't be wild action motivated by revenge repentance, reconciliation, and restraint. What powerful words to think about. What a powerful prayer to take to heart. And also what an example right now in the world as we're dealing with this war in Ukraine. We should be praying for reconciliation and restraint. In fact, the Holy Father has asked us to pray and fast for peace in Ukraine. And so may the world's powers not respond with revenge and wild abandon, of course, since some of us have nuclear power, restraint, restraint, restraint. We should pray for these things. And it's no coincidence in my mind that all of this is happening during Lent when we who are believers should be repenting and believing in the gospel, turning away from sin, hardening not our heart to God. I think it's a beautiful thing for us to think about. And I'm hoping you'll enjoy this conversation with Lynn Jackson, as she really is reminding us, I think, that the time of Dred Scott was not that long ago. And if we aren't careful, we can lose the memory. And that's why things like having plays and statues and memorials to commemorate Dred Scott and what he and his family experienced are important for us. These are the things we want to enshrine in the public memory so that we'll never repeat this again. And I think there's much to be learned between Lynn Jackson and her relationship with the Tawney family, who were the descendants of the chief justice who ruled against Dred Scott. Maybe you don't remember your history lesson. That's okay. Lynn will certainly walk you down that corridor that you can remember and hear from a descendant of Dred Scott and his wife himself. So as you hear Lynn speak, I hope it 
hearkens you to voices of not long ago of the Dred Scott decision of Dred Scott and his family and their quest for freedom. America Media has a very special offer for you this Lent. Our team has written daily Lenten reflections. Why? We want to help our digital subscribers on their journey toward Easter. The authors include Father Matt Malone, Father James Martin, the host of Jesuitical, myself, oh boy, and many more. To get access to these reflections, visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe and become a subscriber today. Stick around. My conversation with Lynn Jackson is up next. Many of us have probably heard of the Dred Scott case. And if you don't remember what it was, basically the Dred Scott case said that African-Americans were not and could never be citizens of the United States and that the Missouri Compromise, which had declared free all the territories of the west of Missouri and north of particular latitude, was unconstitutional. Basically, this case in which Dred Scott, who was an enslaved man, had sued for his freedom, not just his, but that of his wife and children, was told, nope, you are not free and you never can be a citizen of the United States. And this had a grave impact on the United States, on the history of the United States and the Civil War, leading up to the Civil War. This happened in 1857, actually, that this case was ruled upon. And Dred Scott had fought this case for a very long time. When I was reading about the case some time ago, it was interesting to me that Dred Scott actually initially tried to purchase his freedom, but his particular owner, I even hate saying that word owner, it sounds so strange coming off my lips to say that about another human being, but to describe the relationship, she was considered in law his owner. He tried to buy his freedom and that of his wife and children from, quote, his owner, but she refused. And that's what led him to sue. The Dred Scott decision is something that all of us should know and understand how it impacted the United States. And in particular, in my opinion, how it shaped people's thoughts about Black people that we could never be citizens and are not citizens is just a particularly devastating thing to think about. I am so thrilled to be talking to Lynn Jackson, not only because she is the great-great-granddaughter of Dred Scott, but because she's an amazing woman that really is putting forward the work for the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, so it will not be forgotten. And also, she established the Sons and Daughters of Reconciliation that bring together descendants of civil rights heroes with descendants of those same heroes, antagonists. So I just, I'm so honored and so happy to be able to speak to you and speak with you about your important work. Thank you so much for having me. It's delightful. I'm happy to be here today. Lynn, I know there's some things that people don't know about the case, like the fact that Harriet, his wife had her own case. What would you want to fill in to that story that I just told that you're like, ah, maybe add this in that you think could be helpful? So there are a lot of holes and gaps that I've been able to fill in by doing my own research. Like you said, Harriet did file her own petition. And this is something a lot of people do not know. And I make a point of doing that because 
I think that they had a pretty brilliant strategy between the two of them that if anything had happened to Dredd at all, uh, had he died, had he been stolen, had he gone to jail, anything where he would have no longer had a case in the courts, she had that parallel case going straight through. Mm-hmm. And the importance of her doing it not only was to be sure there was a case, but the fact that so goes the mother, so goes the child. And even if she had won and Dredd had lost, their two daughters, Eliza and Lizzie, would be free. And that was what it was really about. It was about mm. freeing their family. And the familial element of their lives has really been passed down throughout the generations here because we are a very close family. When we see cousins we haven't seen in eight years or 20 years, you know, it's like we were with them yesterday and we're close-knit. So, you know, a family uh, importance was was a real key of it. But, of course, that was the way they started it. As it turns out, this case lasted almost, and I mean just shy, of 11 years. Mm. It had five court proceedings over that time period. And within that time, they actually did win their freedom at one point. Another mm-hmm. lesser known fact, they actually filed on April the 6th of 1846 when they went down to the old courthouse which was no stranger to anyone in St. Louis because a lot of times people don't realize cities were not huge like they are now. Downtown Mm -hmm. St. Louis was only a few blocks from the river going westward. Mm -hmm. So the courthouse was, you know, a main central part of the city. It's a place where slaves with the right credentials, if you will, all the right criteria could sue for their freedom because there was a law here that said once free, always free. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason Dredd and Harriet could do that, as you said, Mrs. Emerson, Irene Emerson, would not give them their freedom. She was the widow of Dr. Emerson, who yes. actually, quote unquote, purchased Dredd. And both of them got married after they had come together as master and slave, if you will. Mm-hmm. I always put that in quotes. Right. But they both had married. And yet Dr. Emerson died. And then it was left to the widow, Emerson, who then quote unquote, owned them. And uh, she she refused the money. She refused everything. And because of the law, once free, always free, which stated that if anyone who was enslaved ever lived even for a brief time in free territory, they were free. So mm-hmm. once you were free, then you were always free. Mm-hmm. And even though they came back to St. Louis, which was a slave state, Missouri slave state, They were still technically free by that law, but they were in a slave state, which decided that they did not have to honor the laws of other states. So whereas Dredd had been in Illinois at Fort Armstrong, somewhere near Chicago, it no longer exists. Illinois was a free state. So they were in this free territory for several years, and it was known well of Mrs. Emerson, but no no and no. <laughs> I know he had been um, moved back and forth among uh, free states. So was it that as soon as they moved into the free state, they were free? Is that what you're saying? They were free while they were in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. they were still free when they came to St. Louis. So here's something to, to clarify your question. When I began doing this, All you would hear is, well, Dred Scott fought for his freedom, fought for his freedom. Okay, so he was trying to get free. But the more I looked at it and the longer I did this work, 
the more I recognized that he wasn't fighting to be free. He was fighting to have the freedom that he already had. Mm -hmm. And that's key. So as I was talking about the cases, the first one was a mistrial. The second one was two and a half years later. And I tell people, think and process that. You think you Mm -hmm. have to wait 30 days to go back to court for something. Two and a half years. And so at that point, they got their freedom from a jury of 12 white men. And that was because they met all the criteria. And it was the law. So they got their freedom. It was very short-lived because Mrs. Emerson immediately appealed it. Mm -hmm. And that was in January of 1850. As it turns out, it ended up in the Missouri Supreme Court. Right. The Missouri Supreme Court on March 22nd, 1852, said the times are not as they once were when we used to adjudicate these cases and we're not going to allow you to have your freedom. Yeah. Basically, they were, Mm -hmm. yeah, they were going against precedent. They were just going with the political tide that said, you know, eh, maybe this slavery uh, issue might need to be toned down a little bit in terms of giving the freedom to the slaves because too many of them are finding ways to, to be free. I guess for me, thinking about, you know, this case, thinking about Chief Justice Roger Taney's decision, which a lot of people say was extremely bad law, was convoluted and all this stuff. I, I keep thinking, how did a man of faith, because Taney was a Catholic, come to this decision? It could be able to write in this way, but it is what it is. And I know that just like Dred Scott has descendants, Chief Justice Roger Taney has descendants too. And I understand you became connected to one of his descendants, Charlie. Could you talk a little bit about that? How you first had become connected to Chief Justice Tawney's descendant? Yes, indeed. I love this story. Early on, I wanted to find descendants of other prominent people related to this story. And Mm. the Tawney's was at the top of the list. Yeah, I was going to say, why? Because, you know, a lot of people would think <laughs> of this and think, you know, what a painful history, you know, what they toiled and went through. Why? Why reach out to these people? You know, what gave you the courage or even the hope that they wouldn't retain some of that negative sentiment that we saw in the decision that their ancestor wrote? Okay. Well, two reasons. One, because I, I really didn't know how they would react. And I actually thought that if I ever did meet them, it would probably take a year or two to convince them that, you know, I won't bite. I really am serious here. I want to know you. I want to talk to you. But when we started the foundation, I felt very strongly that I was told from the Lord to use three words as the reason for the foundation. Mm-hmm. And those words were commemoration, education, education and reconciliation. Mm. Commemoration was, was that's what we were about to do. We were about to commemorate the 150th anniversary. And I found out there was no statue anywhere in the world ever of dread. And I thought, how can that be? So we must Mm. fix that. So I had those two purposes in mind. And really, that's all I thought I was going to be doing. But that was easy. And the second one, education. I love education. I mean, that's just, what can you say? We have to have it. Right. So Those two were really easy, but reconciliation. And I said, Lord, what (laughs) does that mean? What am I supposed to do here? Yeah, right. Uh, That's a big word. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not afraid of it, but I just don't know what to do with that. But I knew that's what I heard. And I was obedient, if I will. 
yeah. say so. I was. And I said, well, we're going to go with that because first of all, all right. that does sound like a good idea, but I just didn't know <laughs> what to do. But in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to meet these descendants. And it was in um, 2017. Yeah, make that 2016. And I have to say this. Um, I just feel so blessed in everything I've been able to do that in the middle of a very historic week where on one Saturday, I was getting an award from the DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolution, uh-huh. whom I've worked with many, many times now and have received three national awards from them. And then on another Saturday, seven days later, I was at the Lincoln Memorial in a foot washing ceremony to descendants of former slaves by descendants of former slave owners. Oh my goodness. An amazing, incredible day. Wow. Wait, wait, I gotta, I gotta stop you there. Cause I want to just re say that. So descendants of formerly enslaved people had their feet washed by descendants of people who owned Who enslaved persons. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. For example, my particular person who attended to me was the descendant of one of the first governors of the colony. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, myself. It was Alex Haley's grandson, Will Ford III, who everybody should look up. And then Albita King and Bernice King. And the five of us were on uh, the stage at the Lincoln Memorial, right where Martin Luther King gave his speech. Mm-hmm. And it was very moving. There was prayer and there were tears. There was apology. There was forgiveness. And this was nationally broadcast. Well, we, as Catholics, we do foot washing okay. in the church, um, actually in to remember Christ washing mm-hmm. the feet of the apostles. Right, um, right. serving them, Christ serving them by washing their feet. Yeah, very humbling. And, yeah, very humbling. And it's also an example for us of how we are to be. If you want to lead, you got to serve. And it just is beautiful. And so it parishes everywhere. We have uh, foot washing during Holy Week. Oh, beautiful. So, yeah, it's it's beautiful. So, yeah, when you said it, I immediately could understand the visual, <laughs> yeah. understood the significance of it. And also I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I don't have any photos of that or video of that, so I'm going to have to go look for it, see what I can find. So so the reason I mentioned those two events, how important the DAR was, um, that you know they shunned Marian Anderson and now they're yes. embracing Dred Scott, and uh, the foot washing on two Saturdays in one week. But in the middle of that day, and that was, uh, I think, a Wednesday, I got an email from a young lady, and she said, Hi, my name is Kate Tawney. Billingsley, and I'm looking for someone in the Dred Scott family that I can invite to see my play. I'm a playwright and an actress, and she wrote a play about descendants of Tawny and Scott meeting today mm. in a coffee shop. And wow. so I, I almost fell off my chair. Yeah, so, especially considering what you said, where the Lord, one of the words he said to you is reconciliation. And here it was, one of his descendants approached you. Yes. You know, before you even had it, she approached you. Look at, look at God. Yes. Okay, go did. ahead. Go ahead. More. Look. look wow. Look <laughs> at is, God. It's a good story. And he is uh-huh. all in it. Let's just be clear about that. Mm-hmm. This is the Lord's doing. I am, like you said, a servant walking mm-hmm. through, following marching orders for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just was like, I sat there numb and I couldn't believe it. 
So obviously I said yes, uh, and I, I went to New York, and I did see this amazing play that this beautiful 31-year-old white lady wrote. And the, the words were powerful. This wasn't any pablum speaking that the two mm-hmm. men were doing. Tony was trying to apologize, and, and Scott was, wasn't really hearing it at first, you know. And, <laughs> and it, it just was interesting. It was only 20 minutes long, but powerful, powerful. So that was my first acquaintance with them. Of course, Charlie and I spent some time together the second day and talked about a lot of different things. So you're telling us how you first got connected to Roger Tani's descendant. Who is Charlie? Who's Kate? How are they related to each other and Roger Tani? Kate Tani Billingsley is the daughter of Charlie Tani. And Charlie Tani is a great, great, great nephew of Chief Justice Roger B. Tani, who did the Dred Scott decision. Now, Charlie is um, a nephew, as I said, there were no direct descendants. Uh, so those are his relatives and they represent the family. So what I love about them is that they own the story as it is. They don't whitewash it. They don't try to water it down. They don't make excuses. They come right out and say, this is what happened. This is what was said. And as Charlie and I have had the opportunity over the several years now to work together, travel, and uh, go to universities and uh, cities and legislatures, we have been able to uh, talk to many people. And Charlie always makes a point of reading the words that his ancestors said to Mm. make a point of how horrific it was and Mm. that Kate's play was called A Man of His Time. And a man of his time is saying, this is who he was, when he was, but what he said was wrong. So his own descendants are like, look, even you know, if you want to say, oh, he's a man of his time, no, let's make it clear that was racist. It wasn't right. And that so was they, what the time okay. was. That's what okay. the time was. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you, so as a part of like this reconciliation, what kinds of things happened between you and Charlie, you and Kate, like, was any of this done publicly, privately? Did you have any kind of moment of reconciliation? Yes, we certainly did. Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, which I founded in 2006, started a Dred Scott Reconciliation Conference. Mm -hmm. And with that conference, what I haven't said is before I met the Tawnies, I met many, many other wonderful descendants of other families. So Mm -hmm. we had been working together for many years. And then Charlie and Kate came on to the scene. And yet, as time came by in 2016, we had a conference on reconciliation here in St. Louis. So these people were here in St. Louis, and Charlie was speaking. And just at an impulse, he decided to apologize for the Dred Scott decision. It was not something he had planned to do that day. We had talked about it. And yet, It wasn't something that had to be done, and yet he was willing to do it if people felt it was a good thing to do. I said, you know, I'm not going to push it. So he he just had it in his heart that that was a day and a time and a moment that he would do it. And that public, in public, yes, at a public conference, our first Dred Scott Reconciliation Conference. I mean, with this happening right there, how did you? I mean, I'm just curious. How did you feel at that moment? Well, (laughs) I'm a person that has. A lot of uh, deep feelings, but I tend to not overly emote. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think a lot about what's going on. And I feel like that for me is my emotion, is my thoughts. And I felt like it was just an incredibly historic moment that I wish my dad and my mom could have been here to see. Mm. And I was just grateful that we had come to a point in our country where we could have these two families speak together and know each other and respect each other and have a moment where we could say, you know, we aren't our ancestors and we want to see a better day for all of our children in our country. And in order to do that, you know, we're willing to put ourselves out there and say that, yeah, this was really wrong, but there's so many things we can do today to make things Mm -hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that our word isn't racism, it's relationship. Mm. And when we build relationships and when you get to know people, then you see it differently. You know, it's very easy to take a phrase or a category of people or, you know, anything that you may feel opposed to and from a distance speak about it. But when you're up close and personal and you see and hear and feel the heart of other people, as it turns out, they're just fabulous people. Mm-hmm. They took a chance. You could have had a lot of animosity. Right. I think that's amazing that this was able to happen more than once, that Charlie's willing to do this more than once. And what especially right now, so many people say, I never owned slavery. I never did this. You know, as you know, to say, I have no part in any kind of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have sure. no part to play in any kind of reconciliation. And here, Charlie's took that chance to, to apologize to you. And you were at a place where I also think about this, how God had prepared you by already telling you the word reconciliation. And I think there's a grace in that too. And what he put on you when he told you that he wanted reconciliation, that in his own way also prepared your heart for that moment to receive it. For you sure. know, just like he was touching Charlie to to do something. I mean, let's be real. That was a moment to me of grace that he did this publicly, not having been prepared, but just feeling moved to do it. I mean, there's something to ponder in that. The people who were there still talk about it today. I had relatives who did actually say, I remember once, and I don't know if I want to meet those people. And even after it was over, um, one was just just in tears and couldn't believe what she saw. So God is in the midst of it all. And this is his program. I'm just grateful to be a servant leader. We'll be right back. You know, there's one little factoid about this whole Dred Scott case with Chief Justice Roger Taney. Roger Taney was a Catholic. And then in my reading and some other information I'd come across is that your ancestor was buried in a Catholic cemetery. And there's some family lore about whether or not Dred Scott was Catholic. Yeah, that's very interesting because people have asked me that many times, partly because he is buried in this beautiful Catholic cemetery called Calvary here in St. Louis. Well, as it turns out, I've always said, no, I'm sure he's not. You know, Harriet went to Central Baptist Church, which was called the Second African Church back in their day. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, a dear lady who came here to do research found a document that I had never seen that my own grandmother, who was the wife of Dred Scott's grandson. So I like to tell people Dred Scott's grandson was my grandfather. 
and it's easy to understand the relationship there. But Grandmother Grace Madison, there is a document that she has stated that her husband always insisted that Dred Scott was Catholic. And so based on that fact, I will have to say that then he was. But he was buried there for two reasons. One, he was originally buried in another cemetery called Westland Cemetery, and it was near Grand and Laclede. That's in our midtown St. Louis area, and Mm -hmm. it is right there where St. Louis University resides today. And the understanding is that the university was going to be taking some property there, and that cemetery would have to be closed down. Taylor Blow, who was the 10th of 11 children of the original owner, had always been there for dread. And therefore, when he was going to be lost forever, when they moved the cemetery, if something wasn't done, Taylor Blow had him moved to Calvary. And so the, for let me just for our listeners, the Blow family originally, if you could say owned, owned Dred Scott before the, the Emersons acquired him. So just to help people understand the relation here. That's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is interesting because, you know, we're having a different conversation. Normally I start out talking about them. So people mm-hmm. do know, but the Blow family was very instrumental in helping them the 11 years that they were having their court cases. Mm -hmm. And so Taylor Blow had him moved to Calvary. And I understand Taylor thought he might be buried there, but there's a cemetery just across, there's one street that runs down the middle of two huge cemeteries. Bell Fountain is on the other side of that street. And Taylor is over there with his family. If an owner was going to be buried there and they wanted their slaves to be buried there. The slaves did not have to be Catholic, but they could have them buried there. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding. And so that's what I always thought is why mm-hmm. he was there. Mm-hmm. So let me ask this. Why do you think it's important, you know, to have a memorial there where your ancestors buried? I think there's a headstone there now. So when Dred Scott actually died and was at the original cemetery, Westland Cemetery, They were closing it down. Taylor Blow didn't want him to be lost, so he had him moved to Calvary. And Mm -hmm. yet, he was in an unmarked grave at Westland, and he was in an unmarked grave at Calvary for 90 years. Mm -hmm. When Taylor Blow had him moved, he had to buy three plots for Dredd to be buried there. And the reason for that was a black person could not be buried next to a white person. So in order to be insured that, you buy two plots on either side. And then if a person comes in, there'll be space between them. And that was a bad thing. It was not not good. But God turned bad into good. And it turns out in 1957, after 90 years of being there in an unmarked grave, Father Edward Dowling found the records that said this is where Dred Scott is and he showed mm-hmm. my parents and this was an ebony magazine a picture is there it was amazing that a descendant of the blow family actually paid for the headstone that they did put there in 1957 which was the 100th anniversary so as it turns out that headstone has been there it measures about 24 wide and 28 high inches and it's, it's modest. So Father Darling said, you know, this is but a modest headstone, but if one day anyone wants to do more, that would be fine. 
And uh, little did I know at four years old that it would be me. So we started a campaign during COVID, which was something I wanted to do for years and years, but there was nothing else we could do during that time. And I thought, what a good time to start a campaign for this Mm -hmm. new memorial that I would like to see us do. And we did a GoFundMe to start. And of course, there are other ways that people donate. And the memorial will be 10 by 10 because we have three grave plots on which to put it. And then it will be nine feet high. It's hard to find the one that's there. I have trouble some days in the past. I've figured it out, but it's, it's very difficult to find. And yet Dred Scott is one of the three people that are most asked for when folks visit Calvary, which is an amazing place to visit. Mm. So we would like to see something more appropriate there that would also allow us to share the history. This wonderful headstone that's been there for the last um, 65 years. Yeah. It says that he uh, was a friend to Taylor Blow and that he was sued for his freedom. Lynn, I know there's probably so much more that you want to tell us, but as we're getting close to you know our time to end, I, I just want to know if there's anything else you think, you know, I just really want to share this. You got to know this. There certainly is, Gloria. Thank you. On uh, March 22nd of 1852, the Missouri Supreme Court denied Dred and Harriet Scott their freedom. And at mm-hmm. that point, it should have been a closed deal. It was like, okay, six years in, Missouri Supreme Court, what else can we do? They said in their ruling that times were not as they once were when we used to rule on these cases. And for many reasons, they said, you will not get your freedom. One of the things they also said was that Missouri was willing to accept the consequences of slavery within her borders. Mm-hmm. And that almost was like a pronouncement. Some people say it's like a curse. We are a very divided state here historically and even currently. As it turns out, I always was told by many people, you should get the Dred Scott case overturned. And I said, you know, I think they dealt with that with the 14th Amendment. I'm pretty sure. But I did my homework, talked to Supreme Court justices on the local level, on the national level. Yes, everybody says it's 14th Amendment. But what people didn't understand was that the Missouri Supreme Court has never dealt with their decision of March 22nd, 1852. So it had long been my desire to see the Missouri Supreme Court decision quote unquote, overturned. Now you can't overturn a case after all this time, but dealt with. Okay. And uh, so going back several years, several years, I won't go into all the details, but for four years in a row, we thought we might get that renounced. And it was a renunciation that we were looking for. And that means that the Missouri legislature would renounce what the Missouri Supreme Court said in its ruling in 1852, they would speak forward to the fact that this was wrong. We don't agree with it. And we renounce what they did. That's the most powerful thing they can do at this point. It's not a bill. It's a resolution, but it's a resolution renouncing the 1852 Missouri Supreme Court decision. Well, in April of 2020, that happened. And there was a unanimous vote by both the House and the Senate. And we finally got our renunciation. And of course, with it being a COVID year, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, advertisement about it, not a lot of media. So on March 26th, next month of 2022, there will be a celebration of gratitude at the church where Dred and Harriet went, which is Central Baptist Church again. And there will be many people there to 
thank God to talk about how this came about, what it means, and to look for the spiritual implications of going forward now that this has been dealt with. So the renunciation is dealing with that because until this happened, it's technically still on the books that that's what Missouri says about Dred Scott. It's also symbolic to, to say to the people of Missouri and the world, we renounce this. Right. Yeah. We don't want any parts of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it's, it's making it clear we are, that's not our, that's not what we value. And that's not what we want our public memory to be. So I'm very grateful for that. I want to just, again, thank everybody who made that happen. And yeah. uh, we'll be sharing more about that. Oh, that's great news. Thank you so much to remember in terms of reconciliation and the symbols we can do and the concrete actions we can take uh, to actually start reconciliation. And I just find this completely fascinating. Uh, one point I want to say to clarify for people, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery as an institution in the United States and the 14th Amendment granted citizenship and equal civil and legal rights to African-Americans, those slaves who had been emancipated after the Civil War. So in case people are like 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, that's your little reminder when we when we talk about these amendments to our Constitution. Lynn, I'm just so thankful that I was able to speak to you. Very happy about the work that you're doing. How might people be able to find out more about the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation and maybe even where could they go to find it in case they wanted to make any kind of donations to support the foundation? Well, I appreciate that, Gloria. We have our website, which is Dred Scott Lives, D-R-E-D, Scott, S-C-O-T-T-L-I-B-E-S, dredscottlives.org. There is another website that we've had for 10 years, but we don't update it. It is alive. So the dredscottfoundation.org, the, T-H-E, dredscottfoundation.org, has 10 years of history of the foundation and the history of Dred Scott. So we're happy to uh, accept any donations that would be made there. Lynn Jackson, thank you so much. Great, great granddaughter of Dred Scott, creator of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, the Sons and Daughters of Reconciliation. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about your ancestor and the words God put on your heart and the work that you're doing in obedience to him. Thank you so much. It's been delightful. Thank you, Gloria. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. And if you would, could you leave us a review? I would love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn, and this episode is engineered by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.